listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. Good morning, everybody. Um, you guys rocked. Worship team, that was awesome. Just wanted to say that. Good morning. My name is Austin Bentley, um, and I serve, I just started, I just joined the restoration team. Um, I also help out with Faith Extreme and in another place called I Am Ranch. Um, today I'll be reading 2 Peter 3, 8 through 13, verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed." Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Austin, one of these days I'd like for you to, um, to, to, and you'll be prepared, but to tell us a little bit about I Am Ranch. If you'll put that together, we'd like to know more about that and what God is doing through, uh, through that ministry to boys without fathers. It's a tremendous ministry. It's, uh, Austin's dad, Steve, has been a part of it for a number of years and, uh, and just love what they're doing over there. Hey, are you glad to be here today? Yeah. Really? Okay, this side is way more excited than this side. Okay. <laughs> all right. It, you know, I just, yes, thank you, Andrea. And really, you shouldn't be the one getting all, but that's cool. I thought God's going to bless you for that, so that's all right. Uh, aren't you glad Andrea's here again today? So it's just, yeah, yeah, that's cool. We just need to be, keep praying that, uh, you know, that all that will become in the past and that, uh, that they'll be able to, you know, if they're not going to find out what it is, let's... Uh, Let's move on from it is what we'd love for God to give her the grace to do. So, hope last week wasn't too weird for you. Dark, quiet, but my, my hope is that you were able to be reminded of the fact that there is a, a church worldwide, many of which are suffering greatly. Because being a Christian is against the law. I wonder how many of you might have downloaded the uh, Open Doors app or the Pray with the Voice of the Martyrs app. Anybody do that? Anybody go out there and find It's still on our Oasis Church app. If you go, well, what in the world is even that? Well, there's a piece of paper on the way out. You can grab it. It's got a little QR code you can scan, get you connected to what we're doing as a church, and then we've got some links. So I just thought this morning that I would pull up Open Doors and see who we're praying for today. Um, and so, uh, prayer details. We're praying for China today. Listen, here's what's posted. Several days ago, we shared a prayer request from Lee, a pastor's wife in China. Her husband, Pastor Chen, has been in prison for two months on charges of fraud after buying Christmas, uh, Christian books online. These kinds of charges are becoming more and more common as the church increases in number each day. Christianity is not okay in China, but what is happening with the gospel? It is spreading and the church is increasing because no government can stop the move of the gospel if God's people are willing to share. God will take that message. And if we're not willing to share, we'd hate to hear the rocks cry out. Wouldn't you hate to have that happen? Have a rock cry out where you could have been a voice. But at any rate, the gospel is moving forward. It seems the Chinese government uses this charge of uh, fraud 
to disguise the real purpose of arrest, to detain one church leader at a time until the church is forced to scatter. But friends, we can't let that happen on our watch. Despite persecution, the Chinese church is thriving, growing so quickly We can see why the communist government feels threatened and is cracking down. The more our Chinese family trusts in Jesus, the less they will put their faith in a political ideology. Over the last few months, uh, the Lin Fin Holy Covenant Church, a network of house churches in southwest Sanxi province, is hanging on by a thread of faith after authorities arrested their leaders on August the 19th, all with the same charge as Pastor Chen fraud. Now police are turning their attention to church members at LHCC, the most recent arrest occurring on November the 1st. Police uh, met uh, another uh, co-worker at the church while on his way home. Without warning, they detained him before he could notify his pregnant wife. His wife began to worry when her husband didn't come home later that evening. A day later, our sister received notice that her husband had been placed under residential surveillance at a designated location on, you guessed it, charges of fraud. Not only is uh, she seven months pregnant, she's also raising a young daughter all alone. But this faithful wife is not giving up. On November 7th, she published a letter of support for her husband, telling him she missed him and hoped God would vindicate him soon. As members of her family, we stand with this young bride, this young mother, sending our love, prayers, and support to she and her husband, as well as the other leaders held in detention. May the nearness of God keep them firm in faith because, as the prophet Isaiah said, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Let's take a minute. Let's pray for our family struggling in China under great persecution that God would give them indeed that peace that passes all understanding. Father, we thank you so much for for your son Jesus. We thank you for his death and resurrection through which all who by faith trust in him and him alone can be set free, forgiven, redeemed. They can be born into your family, adopted into your, into your, uh, your, your, your family. We thank you that salvation is available for all who will trust and we thank you that you are saving people in china that the gospel is not thwarted that the church is increasing and there's nothing they can do to keep that from happening father we pray for uh, these churches that are suffering because their leaders are detained we pray for their families who are worried about their safety We pray for this young mother who is aware that her husband now is being detained and not sure of his release, if he'll be released. God, we pray that you would give them courage. We pray that you would give them steadfastness, that you would add to their faith godliness. Father, that they would find their hope in you. We pray that you would help them to find their their safety, their security in your good hand, your strong hand. We pray, God, that you would bind them together, that you would uh, cause them to, to understand the needs that, that these have and to be able to meet them as a community. God, we pray that you would strengthen their faith, you would encourage them, you would cause them to rise up. And God, as a result of just spending a minute thinking about those of our family who are suffering, may you ignite a renewed desire in our life with all of the freedoms and the comforts and the pleasures that we enjoy in this free nation, God, would you convict our hearts, show us where we have become lazy and apathetic. Show us where we have become more connected to the things around us than to the mission that we've been given by your risen Son, our Savior, our King. God, help us to recognize that He will return. And when He does... We ask that you will um, help us, stir us, so that he might find us busy about that that you've called us to. God, as we focus in on the return of Jesus today, may we be stirred. May we be motivated for your kingdom, for your glory. 
We love you and thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Peter, writing this letter to the churches in Asia Minor, is bringing it to a close. He has identified those that we'll call false teachers, those that are taking and twisting the gospel, those that are taking and changing, maybe at times only a little bit, but, but only a little bit will take that message and turn it into something completely contrary than the, uh, than the powerful gospel that is ours through Christ. Peter's encouraged us as we are walking this life, as we are navigating this world under the call of Jesus to make disciples, go and, and, and tell them about him. As, as we've been called to reach and teach, that we were to recognize those that are leading people astray. We're to mark them, identify them, and uh, stay away from them. We're, we're to contradict what they're teaching when the opportunity arises, and we're to stay rooted and grounded in the truth. Peter said in the last time that we were in this little letter, the scoffers were going to come. Scoffers were going to come, and they were going to intensify their taking lightly what should be taking, taken seriously. They're, they're going to scoff. They're going to mock. They're going to say things to us that are intentionally trying to knock us off the truth on which we stand. They're going to say to us, where is this Jesus that you say is returning? How long's it been since he left? I mean, good grief. Whole civilizations have risen and fallen since Jesus that you call uh, the Son of God has gone away and you think he's coming, but obviously he's not coming or he would have already been here. Peter says they ignore some pretty astounding facts they ignore the fact that, uh, that what God says, God's going to do. He's demonstrated it in the past. He's demonstrated that what he says will be accomplished. And you can count on this fact that just like the world was destroyed with water many, many centuries ago, and he saved the life of, of the one man Noah and his family. You can know this. This world is being held in chapter 3 verse 7. For another destruction but not by water. This time with fire. As sure as he did it before. You can count on it. He's going to do it again. And then he begins to flesh out some encouraging words certainly for those in those churches there in what would be today modern-day Turkey. But certainly for those he was encouraging, but he knew that those letter, this letter would be passed down, and his hope was that it would, it would way far outlive him, and that it would be encouraging folks long after his life had been taken, which we know indeed it has, and it will keep encouraging because it is not just a message from Peter. It is the inspired Word of God given not only for those churches, but for all those who name the name of Christ and try to follow Him faithfully. And Peter says, I want to encourage you with the fact that, yes, He is coming, but I need you to understand some things about that. I need you to be able to wrap your mind around some of the claims that they're claiming, but understand it through the lens of God's sovereignty and not through the lens of their mockery. And so that's what he does in these next few verses. He wants to focus their attention on the promised return of Jesus, our Savior. He makes mention in verse number 10 about the day of the Lord. He says, the day of the Lord will come. Now, you and I know that it goes on and has more to say, and we'll get to that. But Peter says, the day of the Lord will come. So I thought it would be appropriate to answer the question that you probably are asking, and that is, what exactly is the day of the Lord? I've heard that before. If you've been around church, you most certainly have heard about the day of the Lord. What exactly does that mean? I can remember as a kid, we, I went to a church, and, and you know, sometimes you know your memories get a little skewed, right? I think I was a kid, but it's possible that I'm, rem that I'm having two memories, one of which after Stacy and I were married and visiting this little small church. But I remember going to this church, 
And on the back wall where we've got the wooden wall, and, and you know, that's one of our favorite things. Yeah, one of these days, if you've never heard the story about that wall, let me tell you that story. It's a fun story. At any rate, on the back of this little church was, was this big piece of, of paper. And it, it, it sprawled the whole back of the church, and it was a big picture but it wasn't like a, a, a picture that if you stood back, you could go, oh, wow, that's a beautiful... No. What this picture was was a bunch of little pictures. Like the closer you got to this, this big monstrosity, you recognized that it was a bunch of little scenes tied together. And, and you started over here and you started looking like, oh, wow, look at that. Hey, I think those are some Old Testament characters, and they were, and they were linked together, and they were. Draw I like drawings. I mean, that, it helps me, right? I'm I'm a simple-minded person, so I like the drawings and the little pictures. Of people are like, oh, okay, and oh, that's connected to that. Oh, cool! I never recognized that. And the next thing you know, they're connecting the dots, and there's parts up here, and there's parts down here, and there's there's angels and all kinds of stuff going on. And then you get to the cross was like right in the middle of the page. You know, the page. You could see that. Okay, the cross and the the grave and the stones rolled and the rays of light coming out. You know how they do. And then the next thing you know, you start seeing some other things happening. And these are some things that were tied to books like Revelation and and 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. And then you kept reading, you're like, well, wait, 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 you're, you're going backwards. Now you're tying things back into Daniel. That's on the other side of the picture. Why is Daniel over here? Because Daniel apparently is connected. And these pictures were a little bit more scary than those pictures. These pictures had like multi-headed monsters and stuff on them. And they're, you know, and I'm like, okay, Bible talks about that. Okay, he must not have got to that part. And so it's all over, you know, and the next thing you see, Jesus coming down, and I mean, he's riding this, this white steed, and he's got a sword, and I mean, all the angel coming down, you're like, whoa, it's getting good now. And so, at any rate, it was this picture, and I was mesmerized by it. And what they were doing was talking about the day of the Lord as it's coming to that point of conclusion. See, you're going to find the Old Testament talks about the day of the Lord. The New Testament talks about the day of the Lord. And you're wondering sometimes, are we talking about the same things? Prophecy. Some folks love it. Can't get enough of it. They just eat up prophecy. I'm not one of those guys, okay? That, but I do like the pictures. The picture books are great. But the study gets deep. And I mean, it gets intertwined. And the next thing you know, I'm going cross-eyed. And I'm just like, man, just, just, just tell, is he coming back? Yes, he is. Good. I'm going to roll with that, okay? I'm going to roll. And then whatever else happens... You know, I've been accused of being a pantheologist. It's all going to pan out in the end, right? That's a bad joke, right? It's old and it's tired and I just did it again. Okay. The day of the Lord. The day of the Lord in Scripture refers to God's intervening judgment in creation. Now, even, even doing that right there probably paints a picture in your mind that there are some things that God is not reaching into. Don't, don't let your mind go that far. God is sovereign, okay? God does what He wants, how He wants, without warning to us and certainly without permission from us, okay? Because God is God and we are not. God is uniquely connected to everything going on with us. It would be a, a bad choice to say that God is the cause of everything. That would be bad to say. But it would also be bad to say that God just sits around and waits to see what we're going to do. You say, well, how do you wrestle that out? Here's the easy answer. You don't. Because God is God, and we are not. His ways are not even remotely like us. Do we have free will? Yes. Is God sovereign over all things? 
Yes, and we do well to hold those truths in tension and hold them tightly and never let go of one of the other or we'll end up in a mess that's going to come back to bite us eventually in our study. The day of the Lord refers to a special, intentional intervening of God's judgment in creation. In the Old Testament, when you read about the day of the Lord, you'll find it in Isaiah. You'll find it uh, in Jeremiah. You're going to find it in Amos, Obadiah. You're going to find it in Zechariah. You're going to find it in Malachi. All kinds of references to the day of the Lord. When you find it in the Old Testament, it may refer to God's past intervening judgment, in God's present intervening judgment, or in God's future intervening judgment. You say, how are we to know? Context. Don't just read the one verse and pull out of the air which one he's talking about, past, present, future. Read the chapters in front of it. Read the whole chapter it's in. Read the rest of the verses after because that's going to help you with the context. By the way, can I just go ahead and identify something for you? We're, we're, we're not holding children against their will in the nursery. Okay. <clears throat> You're hearing the bang, right? Let me out. They are perfectly fine. They're happy. Uh, that's just where they are. They're on the other side of that wall. If, if you just let that be praise to the Lord. They're just saying yes and amen right there. Okay, so at any rate, I had no idea where I was at. But at any rate, <clears throat> don't pull it out of context. Understand where he is, what he's talking about, whoever the author is. That's the Old Testament. In the New Testament, however, when it talks about the day of the Lord, generally speaking, and, and, and I'm sure there, I might have missed one, but I, I think almost every reference to the day of the Lord in the New Testament refers to God's final intervening judgment through Christ resulting in His, uh, uh, his glorious eternal kingdom. So when you get to the New Testament, all of these pictures of the day of the Lord, God judging, in the New Testament, the writers take that concept and they grab a hold of it and they apply it to specifically that judgment that is still left to come when Jesus does return. And whether or not he's holding on to a literal white stallion or not, I personally hope it is absolutely literal because I'm a movie guy and I just think that has to look super cool. But whether or not that's figurative or literal is immaterial. He's coming back. And all of those things about him are either going to be visually exactly like it says or figuratively it's going to represent the return of Christ just like he intended from eternity past. Does that make sense? Okay. So when we get to the New Testament of which we are in, 2 Peter, we understand that Peter is referring to the day of the Lord, God's intervening final culminating judgment that's going to come when Christ returns and does everything that's not happened over here yet in the Old Testament, all of those things become reality when these things begin to happen. Oasis Church, when we get to second, so, so you'll know Oasis Church has a position on the future day of the Lord. We believe that the day of the Lord is going to begin, meaning that it's not just a 24-hour period, but we believe because of how we put together Daniel and Ezekiel, Zechariah, and we take Thessalonians, 1 Corinthians, we take Revelation and Peter's letters, we put them all together, and we have an idea that could be drawn out on a piece of paper if we wanted to, but, but understand, we hold this idea with hands like this. We, we hold how it's going to happen like this. 
and we're very honest about it, this is what we believe. When we talk about the day of the Lord, this is what you're going to hear, but we hold it like this. When it comes to, is Jesus coming back? Is Jesus physically returning to this earth? Our grip goes from this to this. Yes, he is coming back. You say, how is that going to flesh out? Well, here's how we think it's going to flesh out. That makes sense? Okay. So our position on this is that the day of the Lord is going to begin when Jesus returns for his church, which, in our way of understanding, we call the rapture because it says that we'll be snatched away. The Greek word rapturo is where rapture comes from. I know rapture is not in the New Testament, but its Greek ancestor is at any rate. When the church is snatched away, beginning what we believe is a seven-year period of God's pronounced judgment primarily on His people, but also against His enemies, names like the false prophet, which is uh, the, the, the Antichrist, which is also the beast and the false prophet, and others of these multi-headed figurative things are real people and that's when those things are going to happen and then Jesus is going to come back for the second coming when he's going to I'm hoping ride the horse and I'm hoping I got one too riding behind him because again I think that'd be cool I want, I want you to have one too. If it's a Palomina, I want you to have it. If it has wings, bless God, I just want to come back with him, right? Losing my voice. You see, I'm getting excited about this, right? And he's going to battle those that have stood against him in a battle in a particular area of the country over in Israel, the Valley of Megiddo, which we take as the Battle of Armageddon. Right? And then he's going to do what he does and he's going to destroy and he's going to set up a kingdom and it's going to be a thousand years long. Interestingly enough, we call that the millennial kingdom of which time Satan's going to be bound, lions are going to lay with lambs and all kinds of stuff like that that we first started hearing about in the Old Testament. Now it's happening in the New Testament. And can somebody just, if I could just get one of them little bitty bottles of water, I'm just, you know, because I ain't going to make it if I don't get some. Okay. So then all that's going to happen and Satan's going to be loosed. And there's going to be one final little brouhaha of which Jesus is obviously going to win again. And then there's going to be a thing called the great white throne judgment, of which time they're going to be judged. Bless your heart, Jacob. My man, my man. Bass playing, water getting, sheriff, deputy, singing guy. We love Jacob. The great white throne judgment when all's going to be put to order and then if we could put uh, back up verse 10, then the day of the Lord that comes, that starts like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with the roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. You jump down to verse number 13. According to this promise, we're waiting for the new heavens and the new earth. So we believe that the day of the Lord is going to start with the return of Christ and ultimately is going to be fleshed out when everything gets burnt up and the new heavens and the new earth take its place and then we dwell with Christ, whatever that looks like, however that looks like, wherever that is for eternity. That's what we would call the day of the Lord. Now the second begging question that I'm sure you have is, well, when is this going to happen? Because I would love to get this on my calendar, right? This is something that I don't want to miss. In describing the events of the day of the Lord, our Savior speaking to His disciples about these events in Matthew 24, verse number 26, uh, verse 36 says this, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, 
but the Father only. Now, this has always been one that tripped me up. How is it possible that God the Father knows something that God the Son does not? Because how many gods are there? One. How many persons are there? And they are Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Which one's more God? And you say, bad question, Pastor Kevin. None of them are more God. They're uniquely God in their uniqueness. How is it that God the Father knows something God the Son don't? Well, I don't know. How is it that Jesus is 100% man and 100% God at the same time? Well, I don't know that either. How is it possible that there's one God existing in three persons? Well, let's figure them two out, and then we'll worry about what God the Father knows and God the Son don't. At the end of the day, He's God. We're not. Jesus just told us what He is, right? He says, I don't know. Don't need to know. It's not mine to know. It's His to know. And He knows. And when it's time, He's going to turn to me and say, go get your bride. Guess who the bride is? That ain't weird. It would, it's weird here. It's weird when I'm the bride here. It's not weird when I'm the bride here, okay? Because that's what he called me. I, I'm good with that. However you see, I'm gone. I'm with you. Go get your bride. We don't know when this is going to happen. It's a mystery. What did the verse say? Verse 10, it says, He comes like a thief. When's the thief going to come to your house? Anybody ever had your house? burglarized or broken into anybody you've had that happen if if you'd have known they were coming would it have happened no way there's no way it would have happened you'd have had every light turned on you'd have been sitting in a rocking chair with a winchester across your lap absolutely you would we don't know when the thief is coming that's what makes it possible for them to steal our stuff jesus says it's going to come, know this, verse 43 of Matthew 24, know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. When I come back, it's going to be a sudden mystery. Don't, don't try to add up what's happening in the world. Don't try to read Twitter and see what's happening in Israel. Don't, don't, don't be trying to figure out when the next, you know, red heifer is going to be born with the next blood moon and how much gold's being shipped over to make whatever part of the temple complex. Don't do that. You get all that stuff lined up, swear you've got it down to the date, and you'll be the one standing there looking like a fool because he ain't coming when you think he's coming. But when he does show up, He'll show up like a thief, and it'll be sudden. And, and I would much rather lean on the truth that's found in John's Gospel, chapter 14. They're in the upper room. They're having a good time. They're talking about stuff. Jesus is like, I'm going away. But, but you're going to follow me there. And he's confusing his disciple. We don't know the way. And he goes, yeah, you do. I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except me. You follow me, you're on the way. I'm the way. Keep following me. But then he makes... A statement that I love. I actually made this one before he made those. He says, if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will take you to myself. Now, there are times that I've got good plans and my wife says, hey, could you do X, Y, or Z? And I say, yes, I will. I sure will. And a little later on that day, you know what the truth is? I won't. <laughs> or I didn't. I, I said I would, but I didn't. Why? Because I failed to do what I said I would do. Now, sometimes those are negligible. At other times, we make promises that are really, really, really big. And when we don't fulfill those promises, it goes entirely against our character. And it should. Because some promises aren't meant to be broken. But we all know that amongst us stands no one who's never broken a promise. We've all broken them. 
That's why we have trust issues. That's why it's difficult for us to put confidence in other human beings because we've been hurt. We've hurt others. Can I tell you something? Jesus never made a promise he didn't keep. God's never said I would when he didn't. Now, he might not have yet, but that don't mean he's not gonna. That's the point of what Peter is saying. When's he coming back? Nobody knows. But here's what we do know. He will. He will. And you won't be expecting it. And neither will anybody else. But it'll happen suddenly. The the scoffers say, well, since he hadn't come back, we can assume he's not coming back. Peter says to us, verse number 9, the Lord's not slow. I like actually what the King James says. He says he's not slack. The Lord's not slack on, on what you call slackness. He's not slow. The Lord's not dragging his feet. You know, the, the Lord's not still inside doing something while all the rest of us are sitting out in the truck waiting on you to come on so we can go. That ain't the way the Lord is. The Lord's right on time. The Lord's got all this under control. Everything's working out just like he intended. He's not slow to fulfill his promise. When Christ does return, though, 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, for you yourselves, Paul says, are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief. So when's he coming back? I don't know. But that's not the point. The point is that he's returning. The point is that that has been said that has yet to be fulfilled is going to be fulfilled. The point is that when he returns, the false teachers and their pseudo-truth is not going to work out because they're not telling the truth. Well, then why is the Lord, day of the Lord taking so long? Why hadn't it happened yet? Well, he tells us right here in the verse. The Lord is not slow, verse 9, to fulfill his promises as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You know, God could have justly and rightly destroyed this world at any point prior or or, uh, post disobedience. From from the moment that, that Adam and sin disobeyed for the very first time, plunging all humanity, according to the book of Romans, into sin. Well, according to the book of Romans, and everything that happens after that that proves that sin was passed down. God could have destroyed the world rightly and justly, and he would not have been unrighteous for doing so. No one, I believe, is is upset by spraying uh, chemicals on a roach. At least I would like to think that there's no one here that struggles with that fact. Why? Because roaches are filthy and need to die. Amen? Along with rats, right? If you have a pet rat, there is something wrong. And, and snakes. Amen? Amen. Don't y'all deny that. You know it's right. But because God is loving, merciful, and gracious, He's also patient withholding judgment in order to do what? To seek and to save the lost. Why does God love us? No reason whatsoever that I can think of, except He chooses to do so by His grace. He loves us and moves toward us when we stand against Him as His enemy. Peter says that he does not wish that any should perish. God's desire is that all would repent. But God does not determine that all will repent. Again, how does that work? 
If God desires something, why does it not also happen like he desires? Can't answer that. Can't. But, but doesn't God's word say that he elects those to salvation? Sure does. Well, then how can he hold responsible those that haven't been elected for their sin? I don't know. I don't know how it works. I only know what he says. And I know he's holy, he's righteous, and he's just. But I'm so glad that he's also loving, gracious, and merciful. He's patient toward us. That's why it's taking so long. When God's judgment is revealed, it's going to be total. It's going to be all-consuming, all-exposing. Once God starts that process, and when it comes to a conclusion, it's over. Now, I know there are folks that, that believe otherwise. I just don't find that in Scripture. That's just not where I'm at. Hey, listen, if God has a plan to save those after that he's not told us about, then blessed be his name. But I don't find that he's told us. I've found that he told us once that conclusion comes, that's it. No more opportunity. So we're thankful that he is patient, desiring that more and more would come to repentance, knowing that many, in fact, will not. Why is the day of the Lord taking so long? Because he loves us. When's it going to happen? We don't know. Or, or what's it going to look like? I'm not real sure. I only know how the scripture has described these things. But, but the scripture has a great track record of describing things figuratively that look different, but ultimately are the reality. And I've got to be willing to take that. Warren Wearsby, the Bible teacher, now gone on to be with the Lord, made this statement, and I think we do well to put it to practice. He said this, The purpose of prophetic truth is not for speculation, but for motivation. We don't learn prophetic truth so that we can make pretty pictures and, 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 and decide how it's going to all flesh out and, and get everything in order and say, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. Now, I don't know how this is going to fit, but I'm going to make it fit right here. This is going to happen. It's not about speculation. It's not about wondering and looking and analyzing and trying to figure out. He's Antichrist. No, she's Antichrist. Antichrist is computer. No, that, you know, it's not about that. It's not about speculation. It's about motivation. I'm telling you about what's to come so that it will motivate you. To go back to Peter's language in chapter 1 and at the beginning of chapter 3, to stir us up. To get our focus on the right things. To get our attention on the things that are most important so that we will be busy for as long as it takes until he returns that our attention might be fully focused on our calling. So how are we supposed to respond? Verse 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, talking about all this stuff, everything we see, temporary, going to burn up. Well, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Eugene, when you come up, won't you bring the rest of the band with you? We're going to look to Jesus one more time before we go home, okay? How are we to respond, church? That means the rest of you players, y'all come up to, okay? Believers are to pursue lives marked by holiness and godliness, even in the face of extreme difficulty. So we talk about holiness and godliness, immediately our mind goes, oh, we can't, you're telling us we're supposed to live these holy, these legalist, no, I'm not talking about legalistic, I'm talking about repenting of sin that we know is there. Everybody in this place today came in this house with sin in your heart, 
And if that offends you, I apologize, but I'm not going to change the statement. You, you wrestling with sin, and so am I. We come in here with sin in our life. We come in here with distractions in our mind. We come in here, and, 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 and it's just the reality of, of the, the comfort and the, the, the pleasure that we live in. We're so distracted, and, and we're just wrapped up in stuff that don't matter, and it's going to burn up, and it's not going to last. How are we supposed to respond to the fact that Jesus is coming soon? Maybe if it's not soon, maybe if it's a thousand years from now, you, you know God's time and our time don't work out the same, right? You get that, right? I mean, a day with Him, that's like a thousand years. It doesn't mean that, that heavenly time is a thousand years for every day. Don't do the math. That's not what He's saying. It's just saying if God says, I'm coming, it may be a thousand years, but it may be tomorrow. One of these days, it's going to be tomorrow. So just to understand this, he's coming back. So how should we be living? Holy. And what ain't holy, we should repent of. Today be a great day to do it. We just all will walk out of here and say, you know what? I got a lot of junk in my life, but I just need to call sin. And I need to say no. And, and I need to be pressing forward toward holiness and the reflection of godly character. How are we to respond? Believers are to spend less time, less money, and less energy on the temporary that's going to burn up. Anybody excited about the elections last Tuesday? Anybody disappointed about the elections last Tuesday? Guess what? Some of you are going to be disappointed. Some of you are going to be excited every time an election comes around. And guess what? None of them folks are going to be able to do a hill of beans for what Christ has called us to do and to be. If we've got great leaders, great. If we've got rotten leaders, fine. We've been called to represent Christ and be good citizens regardless of our leaders. Yes, vote. Do that. Yes, stand up for righteousness. But when the world around you is not as righteous as you think it is, and we're coming really clear in our recognition that this nation is not a Christian nation, well, it breaks my heart, but the mission remains. Make disciples. Reach and teach, one at a time. <clears throat> this world, this stuff, our passions, politics, all that stuff, we, we need to spend less time, money, and energy on that. And more time, money, and energy on what we've been called to do. Right? We know that. It's not, I mean, you're not walking out here going, wow, Pastor Kevin really just opened our eyes to stuff. No. We just, in the light of Christ's return, we respond. Believers are to press into the mission as though we can hurry things along. <laughs> Peter didn't say, get out there and soul win because the more folks you get in, the faster he'll come back. That's not what he said. There's a lot of folks out there doing a lot of things trying to hurry up Jesus. That's not going to happen. But you know, we can get busy like we were hurrying him up, right? Like we can be so motivated that we're thinking, boy, I'm, we're just, get, we're just getting so much done. He's going to come back. He's going to have room to come back early. Let's be that motivated. Let's press into the mission that much. Believers are to set our longing on the new to come because all the rest of this junk is going to burn up. Even all the new junk we're trying to get, we're saving up to get. That's all going to burn up. It's going to burn up. It's going to go away. I'm not saying it's bad to have, just saying it's a bad thing to pine after and long for. Let's long for the new, because that don't go away. And that's where righteousness dwells, and that's where we get to be free from sin, and that's where we get to be in the face of Jesus. Amen? Let's long for what's to come, focused on what we got to do, following the one that's going to come back just exactly when he's supposed to. And if you find yourself today an unbeliever, in the light of his return, your response is simple. Just repent of your sin. Place your faith and trust wholly and completely in the crucified and risen one. They called him Yeshua. We call him Jesus. Because he's by his father and he's coming back to get his bride. A part of which you can be. If you'll lay your yes down with him. Let's pray. <clears throat>
Father, we, uh, we thank you for the opportunity we have to be reminded of the return of your son. Let it motivate us. Let it, uh, let it give us a, 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 f- a fresh reminder of what our life should be about. About the mission that your son has called us to. Pour in our time and effort into those things that are eternal. Certainly having to navigate the temporary, certainly having to, to, to do those things that are, that are required for life in this world, but not longing for it, not being captured by it, but by being focused completely and wholly upon your son. God, I pray for that one who's hurting, that you might draw them to yourself. Remind them that you are the answer, even when you don't give the answer that we want. Father, I pray that you'll speak peace into the one who's confused. Remind them that while they are confused, you are not. May they find peace and, and comfort in that fact that you love them. And you're leading them, sometimes in the dark. I pray for the one who's lost and without your son, without salvation, may they trust him fully and completely. And God, may we refocus our attention this week on your son. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Have I said it?